Welcome to X-Rated Movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I'm the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. You have no time to spare today, Ryan. Oh my god, let's get into it. <laughs> Today's movie. No. <laughs> of course not. We're never that on point or on topic. <sighs> oh, good. I was I was very tense for a minute there. I was worried. No, it's just like you kind of like reaching and like how you were like just ever so slightly out of mic range. I was just like, now, do it. Uh-uh. Now. You're trying to s- snap me into attention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, summer is kind of here. I don't know about you, but like I'm a little low energy lately. Mm-hmm. I'm like relaxing, leaning back in the sun. I took a three-hour nap in the sun the other day. A three-hour nap. nap. Wow, that sounds nice. You're like a cat. Do they, like, put something in windows? Because, like, I didn't get sunburned. And I was like, is there something that, like, blocks? You're asking if there's suntan lotion in? Yeah, do they, like, is there, like, cocoa butter or something in windows? (laughs) Well, I think there is a thing called low-E lighting. And it's, like, I think it actually does block the, like, uh, stuff that comes from the sun that like fades furniture and things like that. Oh, see that? Yeah, that's exactly what I want to know. Like, if I'm on my couch and I fall asleep for three hours, it seems like I don't get sunburned. But if I were to uh, walk out onto a lanai, let's say, uh, for and, about fifteen minutes, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I, I'm more likely to get burnt out on the lanai than. Uh, or is it a terrace? Or is it a patio? Hmm. Porch. Uh, Veranda enclave. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You're you're gonna have varying results depending on which one you go out on, I suppose. <laughs> yes. Uh, Still can't quite distinguish between any of those, but uh, yeah, I feel like porches are wood. Okay. I've got I have nothing to back that up with. <laughs> I feel like verandas wrap around. Oh, then what about a deck? Yeah. Exactly. That's the question. I know. <sighs> Maybe we should get somebody from Home Depot on the podcast that knows these terms. You think they know these terms? Let's get Bob Vila on the podcast. Yeah? Yeah. And we're pre- like, hey, Bob, what's a lanai and what's a patio and he's on Twitter. what's a balcony? I think we can add him. You think he would respond to basic home improvement stuff? Maybe. Bob. Can you make this as simple as possible? You, you, think, you seem like the only person who like we got to stroke his ego a little bit. Be like, uh, well, I mean, do you think Tim Allen would know these things? Uh, no, you don't think he's a method actor? He didn't actually like learn how to use all these tools for tool time. He actually had a local uh, cable access home improvement show for yeah. a while. I always thought for like having like basically a cable access TV show, he had a really nice house. Yeah, I don't think the mom worked on that show. I don't. Th- Mm. I think she was a stay-at-home mom. The house was always clean for being like it was three huge. boys. It was a huge house. Also, three boys. Let's be real here. That place would have been trashed. Yeah, and he had money to left over to work on that hot rod. Yeah, he always did have like a hot rod or something, didn't he? <sighs> Rich people. That should be our next podcast. Home improvement. Tool time. Time. Okay. We'll review every single episode of Tool Time, not Home Improvement. <laughs> <laughs> Just the parts Just of the, the show. Tool time parts. I like it. I like it. We can see if we can infer what's going on around sure, in Tim's sure. life. Be like, wow, he seems real agitated <laughs> about something. What was his? Was it Al? Al. Was <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say Al. And Heidi was that the the lady? Oh, that's right. They had like a, a bosomy young lass. Why is this in my brain? <laughs> well, 
it was on right before the Dana Carvey show, so <laughs> like that's why go. I remember it. <laughs> I, I saw a tweet recently that was like the weird thing about like our generation, our little like microcosm, is that like we grew up watching TV shows that couldn't have given a fuck about us. Oh right, and we didn't care about them either, really. But we just watched them because they were on. But they shaped us a little bit. And it's like, yeah. I can tell you about Uncle Jesse. What do you yeah, want to know? Yeah, I mean, family manners. I don't give a fuck. But I still say, did I do that? You said that yesterday. <laughs> no, that's what I mean. I mean, why do I know the name Reginald Vell Johnson? <laughs> like, it's just, it's there. It, I, I'll remember that name till I die. Picket Fences? I loved Picket Fences. That show didn't give a fuck about 14-year-old me. Yeah. I remember, I you know, Foivishvinkel is like, ah, we're gonna get into the that that market in Colorado of fourteen-year-olds. <laughs> you think Fivish was the one pull- pushing for that? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It was either him or Tom Skerritt. Okay. <laughs> I mean, there is something about that that generation of TV. I don't know. Like maybe people ten years older than us like felt the same way about Alf. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, none of those shows were very good. I mean, maybe they were great. I'll still watch Golden Girls, of course. Well, yeah, I mean, um, that was secretly for us. You know, gay, I, I I rewatched Cheers a couple years ago. Those first couple seasons hold up. But, but that yeah. wasn't a show written for you. No, 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 no. Like, somewhere along the line, like past we'd aged out of it people were like oh we should be making shows for this demographic you know that's when you start getting like sabrina the teenage witch Mm. and like um your your uh uh tgi fridays or or whatever and uh yeah your snicks like yeah that kind of stuff like we just didn't have that it must have been in the late 80s because like that's when nickelodeon came about like this was like the first channel for kids yeah like exclusively kids programming and then you know disney channel hopped on that bandwagon and took over i don't even know how many channels there are and i don't know how many are dedicated to kids programming anymore but uh i thought you were gonna say i don't even know what a hannah montana is i i I don't i don't either (laughs) it has something to do with miley cyrus yeah she's she's both she's miley cyrus and hannah montana well they can't be one's brunette one's blonde Mm, well, I don't know how that works then. <laughs> I mean, I've seen pictures of them like together. Oh yeah. Well, then there's there's two different people. What happened to Hannah Montana? <laughs> well, I don't know. What happened to Miley Cyrus? Uh, she got naked on a mirror ball. No. Oh wait, yeah, <laughs> wrecking ball. She yeah. wasn't naked though. Yeah, she was. No, she was like in her skivvies. I think she was nude. You think she was nude? Yeah, we're going to fact check like this. Like N-E-W-D nude? <laughs> she was a nude dude. <laughs> I always like what people, like what teeny bopper stars do, like when they're going to be like an adult. Uh-huh. You know, famously Elizabeth Berkley and her step into adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> Madonna step this, rather. <laughs> I think Madonna set this precedent where it's like, okay, Time to be a sexy girl now. But I mean, Madonna was never not a sexy woman. Right. But then like when she was like, okay, time to up my edge. Like, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, you look at the video for holiday, like the, I mean, it's tame by today's standards, of course, but like there's still a sexuality in holiday. Is that the one where she's on the beach? I think she's on a 
like a canoe or something like in <laughs> but like a gondola a gondola I just she's like in like Venice a summer or something camp, like <laughs> holiday <laughs> she feels paddling. so right <laughs> You know, like a gondola. Wasn't that what she's okay. in the holiday video? I've never seen the holiday video, I don't think. I mean, it's not very good because it's just her in a gondola. This was before she met Fincher? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This was definitely pre-Fincher. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, so she was always, like, a sexual being. Like, she hit the scene, like, already, like, there. So it's, like, her idea of, like, becoming, like, a woman... I mean, that was like, you know, sex and erotica and, and right. you know, stuff like that. So uh, how about like Britney Spears? Because she came out being sexual right off the bat, too. What she was her thing? She did. Well, I mean, that, that would. It, it, I mean, you can say that like the, uh, you know, toxic video was a different type of adulthood because it was like, you know, uh, oops, I did it again. Hit me, baby, one more time. Or rather, chronologically, it's reversed. But it's like those were sort of like her playing up her youth and like looking like a christian schoolgirl or or you know a cheerleader or sounding like like a sexy baby sounding like a sexy baby and so like in the toxic video that's like when she's like holding a snake and looks like a stripper like she's at least of age in that one okay but like i'm thinking like joseph gordon levitt when he did mysterious skin oh okay yeah you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like he went from third rock from the sun to being a gay prostitute right those leaps I always find interesting. Like, how do they mm. shed their teeny bopper status? That's always fun to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Lots of people do that. Well, they have to. Yeah. They have to get rid of that 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 clean-cut identity. Yeah, and is there any other way to do it besides, like, being sexy? Well, like, Zac Efron kind of, like, tiptoed into it. Like, uh, you know, he went from High School Musical to that Linkletter movie, uh, Me and Orson Welles. Oh, I never saw that surprisingly entertaining like mm-hmm. i'm not gonna go out and i'm not gonna go to bat for it and like say that's secretly brilliant or anything and he's fine in it like it's not like a, a wow performance but the guy that they got to play orson wells is a wow performance Oh, okay better than the guy who played orson wells in mank i can tell you that right now let's not talk about mank you, you, you got mank phobia i just i feel like we've talked enough about mank yeah yeah you think mank stank I think Mank can, we'll just put it in the bank and let it mature. Oh, okay. If it does at all. Where does Charlie St. Cloud land <laughs> in uh, Zac Efron's oeuvre? Uh, it was a couple years later, like not okay. radically later. Was I'm he gonna... shedding any skin for that movie or was that like firmly, I'm just going to do a drama? Well, when you say shedding skin, do you mean like, was he shirtless I assume he was. How else are you going to get people to go watch a Zac Efron movie? I think his shirts were all just like white tees. Did they get wet at least? If I remember correctly, he's like a cod fisherman's son. I would imagine there's some splash back there. Okay. One day we'll cover it for the podcast. I can't wait. (laughs) But no, that was more... eh, That's like a walk to remember sort of Nicholas Sparksy. I mean, not a romance, but like that zone of non-threatening drama like there's no real stakes yeah i can't remember the order that this happened but i know ryan gosling did like the the 
the what's the one in the rain where they kiss in the rain the notebook the notebook and then he shed that image by doing half nelson or yeah. did half nelson come first i it was very close yeah i've never seen the notebook i know someone who did uh some art design for half nelson okay i liked half nelson by the way cuz like he's a teacher in that movie yeah and there's some like portraits in the classroom of like just some like rock stars like it's like nick cave and i think like there's like a couple others too and i know the person who like made those portraits how about that yeah we used to both work at the same company so okay yeah was it silver platters it was look at that she was like the uh ads and marketing manager for a while did she have the job that the dude in xanadu had no she she didn't do the portraits those Uh, are mostly done by the labels themselves i see okay yes you just like that xanadu drop don't you I'm trying to only include drops I already have, so I don't have to make new ones. You know, after four and a half years... You should have a good library of drops. It's huge. Yeah. Uh, you want to do like a whole uh, 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 just montage of drops right here? All right. I'll do a bunch. <laughs> wow. That brought back some memories. Almost takes me back to uh, episode one. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you playing the game to win. <laughs> Thank you. I'll take a bow now. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. Rightly deserved. Like that's the bow that like the other cast members are bowing you on. <laughs> oh, like stop, stop. <laughs> I've had some practice. <laughs> yeah, episode one, Bo Trevi, directed by Claire Denis. It's been a journey, Ryan. Yeah, it's been a journey. Many years ago. That was during the Obama administration. It was. <laughs> wow. Spanned three presidents. How about that? Uh, yeah. Episode one was a, a Beau Travail. Yeah. You picked it. I remember you texted me. I had uh, you know, just recently gone through a very rough breakup. Uh, had to totally rearrange my life and was living alone. And you texted me. You're like, hey. People are doing podcasts. I can do a podcast. I don't see why everyone else is getting all the glory. Yeah. Let's get that uh, HelloFresh money. <laughs> I think this predates HelloFresh. <laughs> and you said that, like, you know, there's this movie, Bo Travai. You'd wanted to see it for a while. It wasn't streaming anywhere. Uh, and there was a version available on YouTube, but it didn't have any subtitles. And you got stoned. And you're like, let's see if I'm still moved by this movie without knowing the the specifics which 100% was and you know uh, uh i think it was edgar wright who said like you should watch your favorite movies on silent and see oh. how how you interpret them okay yeah uh, which you, i guess was kind of what i did yeah it's like you you you're forced to like look at the movie differently mm-hmm. when you don't understand the dialogue or hear what they're saying yeah Today's movie, though, is not Bo Travai, because we already covered that one. Oh, yeah. It was the first movie Years we ago. <laughs> we just established this. Are you paying attention? <laughs> Today, we're doing another Claire Denis movie, Trouble Every Day. 
from, what was this, 2001? Yeah, or two, one or two. Yeah, this was, I think, the first Claire Denis movie I ever watched. Okay. And I watched it a couple months, maybe a year before we started the podcast. Okay. And uh, watching it now, I was like, I don't think I was mature enough for this movie when I watched oh, it what initially. Were your first thoughts? Well, I remember liking it, but it was like, it's so sparse on dialogue that like I don't I don't think I really grasped what was happening. Okay. So I watched the movie twice for the podcast. Okay. And both viewings I got a little bit more out of it. Okay. So like my third viewing in total, I was like, I'm starting to actually understand this movie. Okay. It's uh not the easiest of movies to watch. Yeah, and just I didn't like it. You didn't like it. I really Loved liked it. it. Oh. <laughs> I didn't love it. I didn't love it yet. I don't think I, I don't think I have enough uh, time. I watched it today. I've only watched it once, and so yeah. I need a little more digestion time. But what a fucking engaging movie! Like for having what twenty lines of dialogue? It's really sparse. I was glued to the screen. Um, she makes good movies. She, do- Claire Denis, good filmmaker. Yeah, good filmmaker. Yeah. Let's sing her praises a little more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. Been been almost two hundred episodes since we revisited her. <laughs> yeah, roughly. Yeah, I just uh, you know my my review of this movie on Letterbox is three and a half stars. Okay, and I'm bumping it up. Like when I when I log it again, it's going to be a solid four star at least. Yeah. Um, and I think because you don't piece it together on the first viewing, like you do need repeat viewings on it. Yeah. That said, first viewing, I still got a lot out of it. I don't know if I completely understand how I feel about it, but I don't know if you have to. Well, it asks a lot from the viewer. It does. I feel. It does. It also has Vincent Gallo in it. Problem. I need a problematic drop. Maybe like a police siren or something. (laughs) peek behind the curtain here we recorded an episode with eric blood yesterday that will be released after this episode mm-hmm. but y'all kind of caught me up on it I, like i knew that vincent gallo was kind of a piece of shit just because he was so uh, uh pompous and arrogant yeah like believed in his own craft so much above all others well and um, like by all accounts lots of people who've worked with him are like he sucks and so but you and eric like caught me up to speed on like the actual ways in which he's shitting like outside of being pompous and arrogant he's like just high on his own kool-aid yeah eric was saying that uh he he feels that like uh uh you know black folks like their their problems are all cultural and and like he made t-shirts that said that and like sold them on his instagram page i'm like Oh, well, fuck that guy. Yeah, even if you're being ironic, dude, just mm, not, mm, mm, not mm, good. Not here for it. And, and so like, I, I didn't know any of that until l- less than 24 hours ago. Oh, okay, yeah. But yeah, I was like, oh, that's like capital S shitty right there. Yeah. But in 2001, we still were like, it's fine. Well, like, you know, we as moviegoers are sort of... Uh, condition to deal with like some high drama you know we hear of you know method acting and all the, like the people who 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 do shitty stuff in the name of method acting 
I don't remember which podcast I was listening to, but it's like no one method acts a nice person. Right. If when someone's method acting, like they just use it as an excuse to be shitty. Sure. I mean, there there are examples against that because like Jerry Stiller's a method actor, and of course he plays a, a nice person in Hairspray. Okay. You know there yeah. are examples against that, but it's like when you hear about method acting, it's basically just how people use it as an excuse to be a pill. IRL. Yeah. I can't lose this uh, shitty uh, characteristic I've got going here. <laughs> yeah. So I have to be mean to my waiter. Like, yeah. And I have to be mean to my co-stars. Like, yeah. you know, the way that, like, Robert De Niro apparently is, like, any time he method acts. I just think of, like, the quote that uh, um, Tony Collette gave when people are, like... On Hereditary. Yeah, like, how did you get yourself into the role to... to, to be so into it and she's like it's a movie yeah <laughs> like she's i like, just I acted. acted yeah well because the the, there's that quote of uh on marathon man where dustin hoffman like stayed up for 48 hours straight during like the the is it safe scene so that like he looked strung out enough and like stressed out enough and Lawrence olivier was the dentist in that movie and he was like well why why did you do this? He goes, well, I, I wanted to like look the part and like really emote it. And Lawrence Olivia was like, have you tried acting? Yeah. Like <laughs> while I'm sure method acting has, has borne some useful fruit. It's like uniquely a shitty American dude actor thing. Well, it's like Marlon Brando, Robert De Niro, who I, I think Robert De Niro sort of eased up on it as, as he's gotten older. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, of course, was like famously a pill during those years and I'm, I don't know, uh, is Daniel Day-Lewis, is, uh, I haven't heard anything bad about him on set. I haven't heard anything either. Like, the only time I've heard, like, a woman being tough to deal with when she's method acting was that uh, Meryl Streep said that she had a problem uh, getting out of character during Devil Wears Prada. Okay. But, like, she would just go to her dressing room instead of, you know, taking it out on her co-stars. Like a person would. <laughs> like a human being yeah. would do. Like... <laughs> So, yeah, and I think Vincent Gallo kind of fancies himself as, like, being in the same vein as a Brando. I mean, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't hate him in this movie. Like, he is, he brings uh, an intensity and a vulnerability. There's something about his beautiful blue eyes. Uh, yeah, you got a, you got a little little Gallo fetish? No, I you think You want to be hung from the gallows? <laughs> Good one. Uh, no. But there is something soulful to his face, and he's able to bring a vulnerability that I think that a lot of men actors are afraid to bring Mm. sometimes, Mm -hmm. and he kind of wears it on his sleeve. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate that about him. He's got very intense eyes, and a lot of actors will tell you that, like, most of acting, like, comes from your eyes. Yeah. And I think he understands that. And his performance here is good. Like, I've seen him in a lot of good movies. Or I've seen him be good in a lot of movies, maybe I should say. Like, I remember liking Buffalo 66. I like that movie, too. It's I know revisiting it's going to be a bitch. But, like, uh, yeah, are we going to do it for the podcast one day? I've thought about it. We'll see. Uh, Angelica Houston. Yeah, that's true. Because uh, we need we need more Angelica Houston and Christina Ricci movies on yeah. this podcast. And uh, there's a... An Arquette in there. Male or female? Lady. Patricia? Rosanna? I think it's Rosanna. Rosanna Arquette's in that movie, yeah. Okay. 
And of course, Christina Ricci. Maybe it's maybe I'm reaching for the stars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, he is good in this movie. I will say that he is good. He is good. I, I would like to know Claire Denis' point of view, or if she has any anecdotes like working with Vincent mm-hmm. Gallo, because Claire Denis, she's in that documentary um, on Ing- Ingmar Bergman. It's like Becoming Bergman or Touching Bergman or something. I can't remember mm-hmm. the name of it. But it's where, like, a bunch of, like, film directors were invited to the home of Ingmar Bergman. Oh, okay. Not all of them went. Like, it was a bunch of directors and actors, too, talking about how Bergman had, like, touched their lives in some way, shape, or form. But a handful of directors, like, actually went to Bergman's home and, like, looked at his movie collection. Like, Michael Haneke's in his movie collection. He sees The Piano Teacher. Mm. And it's rated four stars. It's very clearly out of five. (laughs) Ah! Yeah. (laughs) It's, he's like, you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> and uh, Claire Denis is in his home, and nice. she's walking around, and like the camera's following her, and like you see that she's like having trouble breathing all uh, all of a sudden, and she runs out, and she goes, "I can't go back in." She's like, the intimacy in there was suffocating, mm. and so like I don't know. She, <laughs> how about your movie, <laughs> ma'am? So it's like she's just. She just strikes me as like very sensitive. Definitely, and I think cause she works with uh, Agnes Varga. Is that her name? The the, the French cinem- film director? No, no, the cinematographer. Her name is Agnes. A- Agnes B. It starts with a B. Agnes Goddard. So she worked with her also on Beautrevai, mm-hmm. and there's something when you combine a, a woman cinematographer with a woman director that feels different like Mm. i don't know i i was really into the way the camera captures just like i mean claire denis queen of mood like if nothing else this is a big mood movie it's all i mean this movie's nothing but mood i like, think like you the, could, the you combination can, of like what's happening with like the tinder sticks yeah like the song and like oh, they did the good, score good score soundtrack but even just that that motif of like the trouble everyday song yeah it that i mean it's mixed it, with like gorgeous cinematography there's like shots of the sen and it's uh, at sunrise or sunset and the way it's filmed it looks like blood mm. it just looks like a river of blood mm. and uh there was also another shot that i really loved i mean all the stuff of like before the first uh like there's like two major difficult scenes to sit through mm-hmm. and the first one just before it happens like the camera's just lingering over this male body mm. like very like you feel like you're in bed with this dude and yeah i'm not com- i'm not complaining but uh, just like this, the just the sensuality and the way the camera like soaks up everything that's going on, it just this doesn't feel male at all to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we uh, granted I didn't listen to our first episode, but I think we did talk about, if memory serves, that there is sort of a, a defiantly anticlimactic feel to to Beautrevai. like with male movies it's about like jacking off and coming and like everything's about like the orgasm whereas with claire denis it, it really feels like it's about the journey and it's about the build-up more than the destination yeah and i get that a lot in this movie like this movie's not afraid to take its time it's not afraid to do foreplay 
like it it it's okay just like sitting with something yeah and i think it does the thing that i love it's a movie that teaches you how to watch it the first scene is like two people making out for an extended amount of time with this like slow jam fuck song going (laughs) on and you're like all right we're just gonna take our time watching people make out and it's like it's just telling you adjust your settings for a slow languid piece and i mean there's so little dialogue like i don't think we get dialogue until like the the shot of of vincent and his wife like in the airplane yeah i think those lights are denver yeah it's so geometrical it's like um computer chip And, like, I feel like this is solved, like, 10, 15 minutes into the movie. Definitely. Because we get, in between that time, we get the, like, River Blood Sen. We get, like, uh, uh, Cole. I can't remember her name. The, the uh, Corey. Cor- I think Corey? it's, like, C-O-R-E, but the E has, like, an accent. Yeah, Corey, I think is how you say it. But uh, she, like, gets picked up by a trucker who later we find out she's killed and we meet her husband and this is all wordless. Yeah. It's like, we don't know that it's a husband. Right. It's just like kind of a guy who like stumbles across the body, but is like, you know, unperturbed by it really. And then finds her and she's like bloody, but like grabbing her knees and rocking back and forth. And he's like, okay, come with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like all wordless mm-hmm. mood setting, but also telling the story. It's yeah. good film. It's just good film. It, it is. It's <laughs> super good filmmaking. And it's just, maybe it's just that like I'm reaching an age or that we're just like, there's enough space between when this movie was made and now, but it's like, we've outgrown nineties nostalgia and we're going to start getting these oddies nostalgia. And like this movie makes me feel it. Cause it's like that very specific brand of like 2001 2002 like cheap digital film Mm -hmm. that like independent filmmakers had no choice but to use and you know we did a whole fucking season on bad game movies and they all use this sort of like digital film stock and like you look at a movie like this you're like it doesn't have to be (laughs) the way that like bad game movies did it you can do it this way and it looks yeah. good. Colors in this movie are really important, and it looks great. Like I think of like that green scarf when they're on the top of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. or like the purple outfit that one lady's wearing on the on the subway when Vincent Gallo's getting all creeped up on her. Like it looks good. It looks real good. And yeah. but like it's also dark. Like that first scene. Like I said, I was like squinting at the screen. I'm oh, like, yeah. what am I? What am I even seeing? I watched it during the day, which isn't the best ideal. But it was like, is this whole movie's gonna be like this? Because it is. Well, they're not vampires. I mean, we can discuss it. So, I mean, when I watched this movie, it was because it was supposed to be like an art house vampire movie. Like, that's how I came across it. Yeah, I don't don't know if that's the case. And I think when you say vampire movie, you kind of project onto it that it's vampires. And it's not that it's not vampires, but it's not that it is vampires either. Other than there's, like, sex and kill and blood. I mean, there is sort of, like, a bloodlust going on. Yeah, but I feel like it's more 
because they can go in the sunlight. So like that rolls out the window. Sure. Like and it, I don't get the impression that these are people that have lived for centuries like vampires tend to be. Yeah. Like it feels more like a cannibal, like an army hammer situation. But I'd also <laughs> Good one. Um but it also feels that it's like a sickness or an addiction. There's definitely an addiction vibe going through this movie. Yeah. Be- because, I mean, spoiler alert, but uh, it's not just Corey that, that has this. Uh, yeah. And, I- you know, Vincent Gallo, they're, they're presumably on their honeymoon in Paris. And his wife has, like, a bite mark on her shoulder. And as the movie kind of progresses, you get this, it's sort of, laid out that he can't have normal sex anymore. He needs to have like violent, bloody, aggressive sex in order to get off. Yeah. And like the problem is only getting worse. That's like, you know, he used to be able to like fake it till you make it. And now he can't. And of course he, he, he keeps doubling down and being like, let's get married. And like, that'll, that'll fix the problem. And of course, like that, that does, that path never works. Right. Like, uh, he ends up like getting intimate with her and having to run to the bathroom and jerk off because he's like, otherwise I might kill you as I come. Yeah. A boy so. shoots ropes. <gasps> <gasps> Like mayonnaise. <laughs> it's a lot. It like shoots like six feet. <laughs> like he, he's a ways behind that mirror and it like just like a bullet. You know he, he just had like a squeeze bottle like in a bulb of something. It was like, oh no, I, I you know, Vincent Gallo like withheld for, for several oh, weeks. Oh, that was a method moment, you and, think? Yeah, and, and, and like did tantric sex like, like teasing himself so that like Claire, his, his balls were loaded. Claire Denise, like, we have a bulb full of semen-looking material. <laughs> no, like, no, 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 no. I've got this. I got this. Hey, hey, sugar lips, let me take care of this. <laughs> he, he's, he's, where's the lighting? Where's the mark? What do I need to hit? T- t- tell me where the camera's going to see this. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Uh, no, because it shoots like six feet. Yeah, and it's a lot. Yeah, it's thick. It looks like Elmer's glue. It's like custard. (laughs) Like, I've seen pies less thick than this. (laughs) It's a lot of cum. A lot of cum. No dicks, though, in this movie. No No dicks, dicks, sadly. No chings in this. Yeah, this ain't no brown bunny. Mm, Which I've never seen. I've never seen. Oh. It's boring. Is it his dick in that? It is his dick. Is it actually his dick? I think it is, yeah. Does Chloe actually suck it? I think she does, yeah. Wow. For that movie i know so yeah i like i like the addiction read on this because it seems like these are people who are really trying to fight their eating people desires well corey or Corey, she doesn't seem to be trying that hard like her husband seems to be like Let's lock you the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, it's like a train spotting situation where they're like, we're going to get you clean. Yeah. And he's like giving her pills that she won't take and she just can't. Well, like, you know, fucking like bolts up the windows and like boards up the door and just like keeps her in a room while I don't know what he w- does during the day. Like, he's a he, doctor. Yeah, but like he like supposedly like works from home so he can like take care of his sick wife. 
But then he's like gone for long yeah, he has portions. An office still. Yeah. I mean, once again, when you only have twenty lines of dialogue, you got to fit in just what's important. <laughs> We're gonna be a lot of the connective tissue here. Yeah. But yeah, so Vincent Gallo and wife travel to Gay Perry. Also, pres- his wife, what's her name? Um, June, I think it is, has a Rosemary's Baby haircut, and I don't think that's a mistake. Oh. Like, when a woman has a pixie haircut like that, like we talked about with birth, I think that that's a definite choice, and I think it references, uh, I think at this point, it references Rosemary's Baby. So, so you think Mia like, Farrow owns that haircut now? Like, well, any, the movie owns that. Yeah, the, yeah the, anytime someone has that haircut, it's somehow a reference well, to... Well, in a movie, yeah, if it's a horror, especially... And it's apt here. She's dealing with a horror that, like, is beyond her understanding. And, like, it, she's trying to just be domestic, but she's being, it's being invaded upon her, you know? Mm. So, um, I don't think her pixie haircut is a mistake. Okay, okay. So, yes, it's, it's June. He is Dr. Shane. Right. They're going on their honeymoon. Yeah, ostensibly on their honeymoon, but it's like they get there, and he's like, oh, I got to take a meeting. I promised this like company I'd have like a meeting with them. And she's like, okay, well, let me know when you're done. So like he goes to this like small little lab where they have, I don't know what sort of science they're doing there, but it looks like just large pills spinning in like... Uh, Green uh, liquid? Yeah. Like, I'm like, jello? Uh, some sort of centrifuge experiments here. And they're cutting out brains. Yeah. Which, the, the brains in this movie do not look like the brains I've seen in movies. I think it's a real brain. You think that's a real brain? I think that's a, what a real brain looks like. Wait, do you think it's a real brain, or do you think that's what real brains look like? Both. I think that's a real brain. You think and they that's a, di- dissected a human brain in this movie? I do. That's where the budget went. And we're like, we need <laughs> real human brains. Vincent Gallo's actually going to like eat some puss out. And you don't know how real I'm saying that. <laughs> and we need and real we need human some brains. Real, a human brain that we can slice up. Okay. I think it is. Don't you think? It just looks like gray matter. <laughs> like That's what brains are. Is it? Yes. They're not pink and like wet spaghetti all mushed together. What do you think brain that's a brain. That's what brains look like. It's just, I I feel like the inside of a brain would look like the outside of a brain, where it's all, like, curly cue and, like, texture, but it's like they cut into this brain and it just looks like... Like meat, like an organ. Yeah, like an organ. <laughs> it is an organ, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It just, I don't know. That's just not what I think a brain would look like. Like the inside of a brain. Yeah, I mean, it really... I mean, yeah, when you say an organ, because it's like, you know, when I made that rabbit stew and, like, I cut off the liver, that's sort of what it kind of looked like. You're you're making a compelling case (laughs) here for me, Ryan. That's all I'm saying. But, no, I I was uncomfortable. Like, for some reason, seeing the brain and seeing it as an organ makes me feel gross. I just feel like brains would be more jelly-like. Well, they're in, like, a... A bunch of liquid in your skull but that's to like protect it from moving around too much i guess my idea of a brain is sort of like a uh you know nightmare before christmas where it's like you plop it in and it sort of like expands and then goes back in its shape like a jello like uh-huh. a jello mold uh-huh. that's well, that happens with them yeah but this one is a little it, more solid i was gonna say well, this in a dead it's a dead brain it's not like a living brain 
I don't know. This one just had like more like uh, uh, it was it was much more firm than I would think a brain would be. Okay. So you thought it was a stunt brain? You thought that was a special effect? <laughs> yeah, a you stunt don't think, brain. You don't think Claire Denis would spring for a real brain? Well, not that she would. I mean, if any if any filmmaker was gonna spring for a real brain. Probably this. I just, I don't know. I think of like brains. I think of like young Frankenstein brains, AB normal brains. Mm. Okay. How about this? When we go to some screening of some movie she does and we get a Q&A, one of us needs to stand We're not going to ask about the movie that no, we just like, watched. Um, I have a question. Not trouble every day. Trouble this 22-year-old movie you did. I mean, I, I do want to know. And would absolutely ask and did no research on it because I try not to do IMDb trivia or anything. I'm sure it's in the IMDb trivia. Like the brain in this was actually like a real brain from yeah. like the Paris like medical student academy or something. Brains are a theme this season. Brand upon the brain. This brain. <laughs> Two things is a theme. <laughs> That's enough. Yeah. It's a recurring motif at the very <laughs> least. Hey, maybe next week's movies will have brains in them. I don't know. Hey, yeah. Mm. One thing I was thinking about with this movie, there's really no such thing as like a perfect film, I think. Because like the films that we really like are the ones that have personality. Uh-huh. And like by definition, they're doing it differently and or wrong, and it just works in that movie. Okay. Like things that I would consider to be perfect movies. Mulholland Drive, Chinatown, others, I'm sure. I'm going to throw Stranger by the Lake in there. Oh, oh yeah, because you said it was a top five movie. I think it's a perfect Bold movie. statement. I'm going to take it. But it's it. like... Stranger by the Lake would probably be a very good example because, like, how many, uh, uh, what do they call them, two shots or doubles? Mm-hmm. Where it's, like, two people, like, kind of, like, turn Tracing to each camera. other. Yeah. Like, that's a no-no in movies, but it works in that movie. Yeah. And this, to me, is sort of, like, the same thing. Like, there's a lot of things in here that, like, if I were making a movie, I wouldn't do or I would shy away from or I would not encourage other filmmakers to do. Mm-hmm. But like it works. Well, like, one, I wouldn't have it be this sparse a dialogue. On paper, I think it's too sparse. And, like, if I were reading the script, all, like, five pages of the script, uh-huh. I honestly would pass on this as a producer. Ooh, yeah. I, cause I don't think I could look at the script and, like, think that it was any good. The only time that I would, like, throw money at it was be like, oh, well, we have Claire Denis, like, directing this. So I was she like, knows oh, what she's well. doing. I was like, well, that lends some credibility then. Yeah. And because, yeah, the movie just, it doesn't, there's not a lot of plots, there's not a lot of dialogue. Like, the plot is, like, Vincent Gallo goes to Paris, and he tries to find someone, and then he finds them, and then kills them. <laughs> and then the movie goes on for, like, 20 more minutes. <laughs> oh, my God. When, when he finally killed Corey, I was like, oh, is he a vampire hunter? And then it turns out, no, he's also one of those things. Right. So, like, you know, it, it sort of makes it so that, that he made his honeymoon be in Paris so that he could try and find this person. Because yeah. he, he goes to, like, where her husband used to work. Right. And is asking to talk to the husband, like, oh, well, he doesn't work anymore. And, and then he's got some weird scientific ideas, and he's not even a part of, like, the credible the scientific, scientific community, community anymore. anymore. Yeah. But, like, the lab assistant can kind of see that Shane was desperate and so, like, meets him in a clandestine manner to give him the address. She also says that uh, the doctor that he's looking for needs a friend right now. Uh, get two very, like, empathetic, characteristically women-like qualities to be like, 
I can tell that you're distraught. And also, this other man is going through something and needs a friend. Like, what man character would, like, pick well, up yeah, on those things? Because the male doctor is like, nope. Yeah, he doesn't sucks. work here. You're out of luck. <laughs> yeah, fucking get out of my room. I have to do science. Well, like, he even grumbles about, like, talking to him. Yeah. He, when, he's like, oh, someone's here to, to talk to you about Dr. Leo. And, and he's like, like oh. All right. <laughs> I'll take five minutes out of my very important busy day. Can you see I'm dissecting brains here? Yeah. I got shit to do. That <laughs> fucking large pill's not going to spin itself. <laughs> Even Ugh. though it does. Like <laughs> Hey, just, hey, hey assistant, get over here. We're eating lunch. Everyone's waiting on you. Get him a glass of water and open the window, why don't you? He sucks. He was so <laughs> He was so dismissive. Yeah. I I just yeah, I feel like that's a sensitivity that like a, a woman is bringing to the, to the movie. Which she I definitely was like appreciate. Well, like cuz like the way that like Vincent Gallo like He's like, oh, I, I drank a lot of caffeine today. I'm, I'm, I'm having headaches. She's like, oh, he's lying, but he's lying the way that like women lie. Yeah, <laughs> like, I had a lot of caffeine today. It's giving me a headache. Oh, yeah. Caffeine. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's nice to see on film. And then when she gives him the address and like Shane Vincent Gallo walks away, she's like, I hope I wasn't wrong in doing that. Like she has like immediate doubts. She about even it. goes like. Merd, 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 merd. <laughs> Which is that's fun. That's fun. Uh but yeah, so he's able to like find Corey's whereabouts and they don't really have like a, a homecoming of sorts. No, it's very much like, oh, I'm sick too. It's good to see you. Time to kill. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think we should rewind just a minute because Corey, we see her. She's like locked in the room. We'll rewind even further to begin when she meets that truck stop, mm. the truck driver. We know she killed the guy, but we don't know like what it's about. Right. Because like we find her like covered in blood and her what we find out later is her husband comes to help her and like he like he sponge bathes her, picks her up, wipes the blood off, puts her in the room. Uh, it happens a second time. And I really like the transition on that because we see her escape and then I think some other stuff happens and then it just like cuts to some like bloody wheat like moving Mm. and it's like, oh, I already know what happened. Yeah. Like it's just, again, great filmmaking because it's like, yeah, it's obviously Corey killed another person in the field. Like Mm -hmm. that's that's her MO. And so then... The third time she kills somebody is like there. There are these neighbors, I guess. These two like neighbor dudes. Yeah, they who, don't really explain. Like, but they're like, they're like on her property. Like she must be giving out some like weird pheromones or something because they are horny. Well, one of them is like super horny for her. Well, yeah, because like they they like break into the house and like when they see that like she's boarded up into this room, and it's just like all like eye contact and uh, mm-hmm. you know never underestimate the importance of body language. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you know, good throwback to an episode a hundred episodes ago. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> that know. was episode ninety nine. I love it. Uh, yeah, suddenly he's like pulling. He's pulling nails boards out of off. Walls. Yeah, he's trying to break into that room. We get that long lingering uh, shot on his body that I mentioned earlier, which is pretty hot. I'm just gonna say, and then it seems like they're gonna fuck, but well, instead she just. It eats looks him. like there's insertion. Yes. Like, yeah. she straddles him, and she does that, like, you know, that motion that, like, women in movies make where they, like, 
put, put the their penis. hand in front of their vagina and it looks like they're you know inserting a, a penis inside yeah you can't see it it's too dark but that's fine right i don't need it but then she like eats him takes a turn for the worse i'd say <laughs> it is it's rough matt it's hard to sit through it's deeply unpleasant and i think the biggest like i think the thing that was really bugging me was like the cries of pain that the guy is doing and they just go on it's a lot of the dude yelling i mean it's not even just rape it's like murder rape or like torture rape yeah it's cries of extreme pain because like it was upsetting not just because of like his cries although you gotta put in a, like a drop of of. It's running underneath what we're talking right now. <laughs> but like when she starts like chewing on his lip, <sighs> like it's so like it looks like his lip has been busted open, and she's like chewing on yeah. like the inside flesh of like the top of his lip, and it's coming right after a very sensual sex scene and it's like that hard juxtaposition between like I'm vulnerable I feel safe and horny to I'm being eaten is rough it's real it's a real hard well yeah because it like the reason why I think like this movie kind of gets labeled like vampire movie is because like the first bite that she does looks to be on his neck yeah and, like, that's when, like, he, he starts, like, screaming in pain. And it does sound like he's in pain. And he's, like, gurgling blood and stuff. It's bad. Yeah. And then, like, you know, once we're into it, it kind of seems like he he can't even defend himself anymore. Like, right. at the beginning, he was like, trying to fight back. But, like, the way that, like, she hits him on the head. Yeah. Like, there's something like mean about it like a cat playing with a mouse i was gonna say like there's something playful yeah and then like he's screaming and she starts screaming at him and like her teeth are all bloody and the way she's filmed there's like profile shots of her with her mouth open and you can see the teeth yeah profile is real freaky it it's real and like clarity like lingers on this like it's not quick this is like this is why she made the movie was to do this scene. Yeah, this movie really this this scene really took me to a place that the movie like I wasn't expecting. I was really affected. It, this movie reminded me a lot of Possession, to be honest. Mm. Um, like the fact that there's like something going on in what looks like a regular house from the outside, but then when you get in there, you're like, oh shit. And also just like it's weird and wet and sexual and all that <laughs> stuff. But I forgot where I was going with this. But like just like the lingering on the shot. But, the, well, yeah. But yeah, it like took you to movie, a place. Yeah. The whole movie is like building up to this. And then once we get there, it just lasts forever. And it's like in a movie that she's taught us at the beginning, things are going to happen slow. That includes when the when it gets the going gets rough. It's going to be slow. You're going to have to sit through it for a while. It's also like we get into in indications like the movie's going to be bloody. Yeah. Like, Gray is like coated with dry blood when her husband finds her. And Vincent Gallo has that like image of his wife like coated in blood right. early on. Right. Yeah. yeah. When he's like in the uh, airplane bathroom. Right. And she's got like sheets covered in blood and yeah. 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 
we know it's going to be a bloody affair, but it just, it's so long. <laughs> and I don't know. It just took me to a place. It, it's so visceral. Yeah. And you're prepared for it because the movie's been so slow taking you there, but sitting through it is tough. It, it, it's really not, ple- I'd forgotten how unpleasant it is. <laughs> But I also think that that's important to the fabric of the movie because, and I, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but I actually think this movie is, is in its simplicity, it becomes very interpretable. So we'll, we'll talk about that stuff later, but I, I think the, like, the viscera and, like, the just unpleasantness is important to the fabric of the movie. Yeah. Because, well, so, like, you know, after this, like, there's a scene of, like, her just, like, walking around in the room, and, like, the walls are just covered yeah. with just weird patterns of blood. It looked like a church. Like, it looked like she'd painted some I sort mean, of weird church, uh, like, like a child's drawing of a church There's some blood. sort of, like, iconography with, like, the blood, and she's just walking yeah. around, and she's coated with blood, and, like, yeah, like, there's something to whatever she was putting on the walls, but... Yeah, it just real something else. Like it, I like it because it doesn't go full like Gasper No or No Way, however you pronounce it. Like with irreversible, we'll say yeah. Where which like, this movie gets lumped in with in like this like French shock. Uh, yeah, cinema. like the what do they call it? like the the new extremist or something? Something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't consider this of a piece with that movie. No, because I mean. I have a billion problems with, with, with Gasper. I don't think he's made a good movie. And, like, I think his movies are just shock for shock's sake. Whereas this, I think it actually, like, says something. Like, it's purposeful and it's meaningful. Definitely. But it is unpleasant in the way that, like, the rape scene in Irreversible is unpleasant. Oh, yeah. Like, not quite as extreme as that, but in a similar way. Well, but And it's not explicit, I think, is what's weird, is, like, what makes it disturbing is that is the sounds and the something about like the way she's like toying with him. Like you said, like a cat kind of thing. Like that's the stuff that really like gets under your skin. It's not necessarily like we're seeing lots of gore, but we're, I mean, it is plenty bloody, It's plenty bloody. And like, it is a little gory, but like what makes it scary is just, I think, a starting with like a very sensual thing going to that, but then like just t- the sound he's making and that it's taking so long and that she's enjoying herself. It's just like you're just stuck in this terror. And like there's a second scene later, like we find out after Corey dies, which once she died, I thought that was going to be the end of the movie. And then I'm like, oh, there's still like 20 minutes left. What are they going to do? I actually like got more engaged because mm. I'm like, where's she going to go with this? Like mm-hmm. I'm really. I'm really excited to see what's going to happen. And uh, he ends up killing the maid. And, like, it's been hinted at that he's probably going to do it the whole movie. Well, um, like, is it hinted that he wants to kill her? Or is it, like... the sexual thing. The sexual They're thing, They're all right. tied, like, right. killing and whatever this, like, these cannibals problem is, it has to do with sex and eating people. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're they're intertwined somehow. But, like... So he's trying really hard not to fuck this lady, and then finally he does. And that's the second time that this movie, like, takes me to that place. And it's like, oh, this one's just as rough. Yeah. And in a different way. Definitely, yeah. Because, like, you know, once again, it it seems to start out consensually. And then it turns into very non-consensual intercourse. 
and it's also very bloody. It's like, yeah. you know, we here on the podcast are big proponents of shut up and eat that puss. This is where not it backfires. This, not this way. Not like this. Not like this. Because, like, her screams are also awful. And, like, the way that she's, like, hitting him to, like, get off of her. It's like, oh, God, he's so much bigger than her. Yeah. At least in the, and, in the way that we saw it before, it's like this was, like, a little woman on, like, a full-sized man. But this reads more rapey to me because, like... Oh, yeah. Like, Shane looks so much bigger than the maid. And... I'm just kind of piecing this together now, but, like, there's an an inevitability to this that really saddens the... Like, it kind of clouds it because it's, like, there's lots of scenes of um, the camera following the maid, like, from right behind you to see her neck, and you're like, she's going to die. And, like, she has a sadness, this actress, I don't know her name, she kind of has a sadness to her face. And it's almost like she knows, too, throughout the movie that it's like, yeah, I'm probably going to fuck this guy and die. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like there's something to that that like when it happens I'm prepared for it but I still am disturbed and also don't want it to happen right and then like when you see it it, it it's so like it matches the unpleasantness of the first one Ugh, yeah and it's like when Vincent Gallo like lifts his face up like it's that real thick blood and like the way that she was screaming right beforehand and then it kind of cuts to like just her lifeless body being dragged off yeah like it's so unpleasant but like once again like the unpleasantness i feel is integral to the movie if you cut these scenes out i don't think like the movie would read the same way like in in the slightest whereas like irreversible if you were to cut that like one rape scene out and say that she that monica bellucci was raped you'd still have a movie you still have a movie yeah where this like it's the lead up and like it's it's like a centerpiece almost like the unpleasantness all right is a character building feature of the movie definitely I'm going to float an idea here. Yeah. I'm going to say since this movie happened, I don't know how other critics outside the U.S. looked at this movie, but I'm going to say that uh, maybe part of the problems American critics had with this movie was that it was too close to 9-11 and that we weren't interested in being challenged at that time, especially with violence. (laughs) Well, did uh, American critics not care for this movie? It seemed like at the time it was a lot of um, poor reviews. Yeah. And okay. it's like it's since been reevaluated and been like, oh, no, no, this one's good. Also, this is not a mainstream movie. This is not a movie meant for just regular popcorn audiences. But critics should know better. Yeah, I don't know. But like, I think that like maybe this is just, I'm floating this idea. We're fresh off Gremlins too. We all remember Leonard Malton's review of <laughs> Gremlins 1. Yeah. So what I'm saying is too close to Iron Contra and we just weren't ready to be challenged. <laughs> well, I mean, but you know, like it's in like 9/11 was a trauma event. Yeah. Who wants to go to the movies months after that and watch something that's as violent as this? Like that's hard. Yeah. And so that's going to color your review. I think it's just too challenging in like a gender politics way almost. I like, mean that's part of it too. Having like, what is ostensibly like a woman like raping and like torturing and killing a man at like the you know, the hour mark or, you know, forty minute mark, wherever it is. I just I don't think 
Because there are people that, like, I follow on Letterboxd that are, like, professional film critics who, when it comes to gender stuff, it's a big blind spot for them. Mm. Um, Like, the male critics. uh, I'm going to say it. Mike D'Angelo. His review of Duke of Burgundy is used in the trailer for Duke of Burgundy. Like, he's he's a a big enough film critic. But a lot of times, like, I like his reviews on a lot of stuff, but... Stuff where, like, gender plays a big role or gay stuff plays a big role, like, it is a huge blind spot for him. Like, is he straight? I, oh, I'm almost positive. Okay. Like, like I read his review of The Piano, and I was just like, I'm 180 degrees away from this review. Wow. Like, I feel almost the exact opposite that you feel about this. And, like, there's, yeah, some gay movies, too. Like, I don't think he'd like Stranger by the Lake. <gasps> well, now I hate him. <laughs> and th- there's a couple others, but it's like... uh. Or may- maybe it wasn't changed by, ma- by the lake. I think it was Call Me By Your Name, I want to say. I still hate him. <laughs> like, I do feel like, you know, Roger Ebert had the same sort of blind spot sure. when it came to this thing. Uh, and maybe, like. Not I didn't to- read his review of it. He didn't like it either? Well, I didn't read his review of this. Just I know that he had that blind spot from time to time. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Uh, you know, he wasn't a fan of Blue Velvet, for instance. Yeah. We don't always agree, Roger. Okay. Uh, and not to say that, that you and I are especially enlightened or... Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Ryan's over there shaking his head. It's like, no, we're very enlightened. No, yeah, we're fucking smart, man. I do think being gay does lend a certain insight like just by the fact that we date men and that we see how they can be shitty to us and then we call them to question like our own shittiness towards other people mm-hmm. or the people that we date i think it, it it does like hold a mirror up to our own behavior a little bit more well i mean i think it's interesting you said that like the second visceral moment of this where shane is killing the uh the maid maid uh, that it feels rapey, but like, and this is something I, I would maybe question on second viewing, but like, why doesn't the first one feel rapey? Why doesn't it feel rapey when Kare is killing that dude? Like, I don't feel that that's rapey. I mean, it is a little rapey, but it's not, I mean, part of it is like the way that like the maid is like hitting him like futilely. Like, well, yeah, it's, well, she it's, just has these like little fists that are like banging the back of his like broad shoulders that are are clearly not doing anything when the dude is saying no it doesn't feel like i'm saying no because i'm worried for my life and the sex is bothering me whereas like when the woman is saying no it feels like i'm worried for my life and the sex is bothering sure and so that i mean that's a the guy screaming is like, oh, you're biting my nipples too you're gonna hard. You're going to kill me. Or, yeah. And so, like, there, I mean, that's a fine distinction, but it makes a difference. Like, I didn't get rapey vibes from that first. Un- I was just uncomfortable about the murder. The, whereas the second time, I was like, I was uncomfortable with the murder, and I felt like it was rapey. Yeah. The, the, the first one, the guy screaming, it, it sounds like screams of pain. Yeah. Whereas, like, the woman is, the maid is screaming because she feels like she's going to be raped, and then she gets her pussy eaten out yeah and so it's like th- it's weird that, and i don't think that's a mistake that like we have those two dynamics on display here like one feels 
horrific in one way and one feels horrific in a different right like way. the guy the guy only screams out in pain or it, it only starts feeling bad with a guy when physical pain is being inflicted upon him I did, like it's not a sexual thing for some reason and the woman starts screaming out when she f- notices like the the dynamic has changed and i think it's in the movie too because it's like when the dude is dying, it's because his neck and ear are getting eaten. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like his dick is getting bit off. Right. Whereas, like, when Vincent Gallo is, like, assaulting the woman, it's because he's, like, eating her private parts. Yeah. But, I so, mean, she's screaming well before that, too. Sure. Like, but, like, it just feels more of a sexual violation than the other one does. Yeah. And, I mean, it... it the movie foreshadows that too. Like when Vincent Gallo like walks into the bathroom and like sees his wife taking the bath. Yeah. And like, there's like a close up of her vagina that like implies that like, that's what he's staring at. And it's like, we're already building up that like, he wants that. Like that's what he's hungry for. Great use of nudity in a non-sexual way in this movie. Like when she's taking the bath, you mean? Yeah. I wouldn't say that it's completely non-sexual though. Cause it's like, Shane is coveting that. Like, right, he, but you he, feel that it's gross. Like, it's not. It's did perv- you, like Did you as a viewer feel sexual? Well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it was like arousing, but it's like we definitely get the implication that Shane is desiring this. Like, I didn't get the impression that it was like there to arouse people. It was to prove a point that he's like hungry for the puss right that he has some sort of unnatural attraction to this that that his attraction to this isn't sexual it's something else yeah and it feels like in a if if a man were in charge of this i would feel differently but because it's claire denis something changes there it, it does like you know this is why we need more women directors like it changes how we view like nudity in movies yeah I don't know, you know, like, I I watched this movie twice before the podcast, and I'd seen it once before, once before we even did the the start of the podcast in in any way, shape, or form. And, like, on the third viewing, it really started, like, striking me how it's, like, I'm interpreting this movie that's, like, the the way that Corey's husband, like, deals with this, like, manages it. It's, like, you know, sometimes you marry someone, and they have flaws, Sometimes those flaws are big, and you deal with them. Like, you manage them. He deals with them by not dealing with them. Well, like, he cleans up the messes, but... But he's also, like, stay in your box. (laughs) I I just, like, I have, like, gay friends who it's, like, their husbands, even, have bad sexual practices that, like, maybe they can't help, or it's a itch that needs to be scratched for them like like you know i have friends who like their husbands like every now and again like need to go to a bathhouse like they need to have like anonymous sex okay and it's like you know that's not a healthy itch that needs to be scratched but like that's sort of what like i look at here that it's like these people have unhealthy sexual appetites but they still have these appetites and so it's like do you live a life of complete repression or do you try and find an outlet for them? And I like Vincent Gallo. I think the way the movie portrays it, because he like buys that puppy, like he is still holding on to his humanity. Where Corey has just let it go. Yeah, like she's too far gone voluntarily. Really, she's just like, nope, 
this is my life and I'm fine with it. Is he, or is he just buying that puppy as like a uh, stopgap in a way to like maintain this he, sham relationship? He's convincing that he's himself that he has humanity. Yeah, because I don't think they, I don't think they have a good relationship because she. He also he, leaves that puppy alone in the hotel. I'm like, that puppy would pee everywhere. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I have a note that was just like, I don't like these puppies' prospects. I thought, it was, <laughs> I thought for sure it was going to die by the end of the movie. But, you know, like, they don't have an honest relationship. She doesn't know that he's a cannibal. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not a healthy relationship. If she knew that, because, like, the, the scene where she's, like, waiting in the rain for him. Mm. while he's, It's like, she's obviously in the dark. Like, if she knew that this was a thing he did... And like truly still loved him, she would say, "Go do your thing," and then go kill know. someone and come back to yeah, me. Yeah, I'll be here for you. Like I appreciate you coming on the bathroom mirror instead of in me because then you'll eat me. I was gonna say it also looks like that fucking rope would shoot right through <laughs> me. Like <laughs> come out of her back into her brain, all the way to her brain, back to brains. Fucking. <laughs> pump and dump her and she'd be able to taste it (laughs) corn when did you have corn there's a thread running through this definitely of like uh dr jekyll mr hyde kind of thing or like werewolf or you know frankenstein's monster like Mm. it's almost just a vague like horror monsters like because i don't think we t- like you mentioned in Gremlins too, like name the monster, name the metaphor. Like I think she's referencing lots of different Hollywood horror I, monsters, I, and it's just like the idea is that like very vague, right? I think vampire a vampires get lumped in with like sexual repression stuff quite a bit, uh, but they're not vampires exactly either. I mean, they're I mean, not, they not kind of, vampires. They're not it, not, but they are exactly. I mean, it, it's definitely more of like a. It, it, it's sex and blood primarily, and, and those are the things. Well, I mean, yes and no. It's like we don't see anyone like it's not like Hannibal Lecter style cannibalism here, right? No one's cooking up that brain, right? This seems more like bloodlust to me because, like, the sex scenes are so bloody that it seems like blood is the point. Okay, I'll go not, with you. Not, not flesh. Like, when I think cannibals, I think flesh. Vampires are blood. And this strikes me as, like, bloodlust. But, I mean, A, I mean, this movie never says vampire, never says anything. And it's treated as, like, an addiction, which also kind of strikes me as more vampire-y yes. than cannibal-y. That, like, you know, Hannibal Lecter's not necessarily going through, like, withdrawals because he can't eat flesh. Whereas I think, like, Chain or Corey, like, they need this to get off. Definitely, definitely. And so it's more more addiction levels. And, and I don't know. To me, that, that feels more vampire-y than okay. just cannibal-y. But, like, you know, I've said this a hundred times on the podcast. Vampires always get the auteur treatment. And who's fucking more auteur than fucking Claire Denis? I mean, yeah. Like, capital A auteur here, people. This movie's really good, man. <laughs> I've got a good pick. I'm just going to say it. I, I also just, I feel that, like, 
because it's so sparse in its dialogue, we can kind of project. And so like, Oh yeah. Like, and so like what I was saying about like, you know, I have friends who, who like whose husbands have bad sexual habits or unhealthy sexual appetites or destructive sexual appetites. Maybe I should say it's like, I see that a lot here. So it's like, there's parallels to like real life relationships and how it's like, we marry someone for, for good and for bad. And like, this is that in a way, it's just, they've taken it to an extreme in this movie that someone can't get off without, you know, piercing (laughs) someone. Yeah. I like, well, I mean, we, we were talking off pod before we started recording about, uh, ambiguity in movies in general and how like you don't have to have that in your movie your movie can be absolutely about something and uh that's fine and it can still be a good movie but there is something about leaving that ambiguity there that really elevates and continues the discussion for me personally like i love a movie that leaves you with lots of questions okay and that you can continue to talk about and mull over and like i mean claire denis is great with that and like when we talk about a, a person who's really good at mood um i'm also gonna throw lynn uh lynn ramsey in there sure another great director who's good at just creating a mood and lots of questions mm-hmm. and um i like that in a movie and i want i want more of it and you know what? Those are two women directors, and guess what? Men maybe aren't that great at it. <laughs> like, I'll be honest. Hey, men can create a mood, but like, but are they as good as at ambiguity as women are? I don't know. I feel like women have to live in that zone a lot more than men do. So, I mean, I mean, I would say that D- both David Lynch and Roman Polanski are very good sure. at ambiguity. Uh, but also, you know, I don't know how also, much you want to keep this in the podcast. I also think that you know, the Roman Polanski con- confoundingly. I think they have a good understanding of the female experience. Like, I think David Lynch makes very good movies with a female perspective, mm-hmm. or or even like parts of Twin Peaks from from a female perspective. Like the whole Laura Palmer arc. Like, granted, Laura Palmer had a very full life. Like, when <laughs> when you boil it down, it's like she's got a job at a department store. She's working at One Eye Jack. She's doing. She's a part time hooker. Like she and she goes to school full time. Like. The girl had a full plate and like Roman Polanski too like after I watched or we did Repulsion for the podcast I rewatched both Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown and it's like Mia Farrow and Faye Dunaway in Chinatown it's like those are super sensitive performances mm-hmm. and nuanced characters very too. nuanced characters and it, it, it just it seems like even though fucking Roman Polanski is a rapist even nobody's denying that not even Roman Polanski he still seems to have an understanding of it which is crazy to me like you'd think a rapist does not have an understanding of the female experience but I really feel like Polanski does I don't know I don't know why I got down this road to no, begin no, it's with. Fine. I would argue that David Lynch is a master of uh, mood and ambiguity as well yeah uh, but he's just often coming at it from a more masculine perspective. I, and that, that doesn't mean oh, that he's really okay. That doesn't mean he's not good at like Mulholland drive is a great example. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean he's not bad or he's not great at taking care of, of his ladies characters. But like, I just, when you have, it's like David, this movie is like David Lynch filtered through a woman's eyes. And okay. like that is, a different beast altogether. Well, I mean, 
I think this does kind of circle back to like I'm putting too much of myself out there, but like I think that like sex sort of informs like how we have sex or the sensation and pleasure that we derive from sex kind of informs like how we make sort of maybe an exciting or interesting movie. Mm -hmm. And it's like David Lynch or Ron Plansky, even though like they're sympathetic towards the female perspective, like they still experience sex in a specific way. Like it's still just like, climax oriented whereas like you know for women it might not be like it might be more about the journey Mm -hmm. and that leads them to make like a thriller or horror movie with a different set of priorities yeah yeah i shouldn't speak for women yeah sex and violence i i love love sex and violence they make for great movies and i really like it filtered through claire denis like she it's makes... also a good scissor sister song oh yeah yeah boy boy she makes good movies yeah she yeah. really does keep them coming shocking that it took us almost 200 episodes to revisit her yeah well still done done spielberg but that could change man (sighs) boy could it are you ready to figure out what we're gonna do for episode 200 matt I'm demanding a recount. (laughs) Have we really counted every episode in its entirety? All right, let's go through them. Uh, This is how I fall asleep at night, Matt. I go through the episodes of the podcast naming what we did. So season one's easy. When I start getting into seven and eight. We've done 20 seasons, Ryan. I know, yeah. The most recent ones are going to be the hardest, TBH. Oh, really? Yeah. Can you name the last 10 episodes? Okay, let's. Um, it would have been our fast bender, bender. So that was the, the, Veronica Voss bender, bender, and Martha. And then it would have been your choice to start. I, can't, I honestly can't. Remember. Spring Breakers. Oh, okay. Repulsion. Scanner Darkly. Brand upon the brain. Secret and M. The Wiz. <laughs> Kicking and screaming. Nope, I'm off one. I'm off. I missed one. Spring Breakers, Repulsion. Was it Scanner Darkly? It had to be, yeah. Then you picked... Brand Upon the Brain. No. Was it Brand Upon the Brain? No, that doesn't feel right. Yes, that's right. Yeah, because... Yeah, that's right, yeah. Okay, so Scanner Darkly, Brand Upon the Brain. The Wiz. No. It can't be Brand Upon the Brain, the Riz. Those are... Both your choices. Well, the brand upon the brain, secret name, the Wiz. Uh, Gremlins two. Gremlins two. Kicking and screaming. This one. Yeah, that's nine. Yeah, we did it. We did. Okay. Fool. That's some heavy lifting. Give me a fucking award. Uh, but no, Matt. It's time. This is what we do every fifty episodes. We do the AFI roulette. <laughs> means neither of us knows what's coming up 
We're going to spin a wheel and come up with uh, some movies off of the semi-verboten AFI Top 100 list. Okay, I have the ge- random n- number generator up on my phone. What? What do you have the list? You mean you you have the wheel in front of you that we're gonna spin? I have the I'm I've wheeled out the big huge prices of rights. Prices of rights. I'm sorry. Prices of right. Real. Wow. Prices of right. Okay. This is like splice up your life. I give up. The wheel. And uh, there's some numbers that are off the table, Matt. We've got uh, Pulp Fiction and Tootsie. So we can't do number nine. That's Vertigo. Vertigo's out. Uh, Science of the Lambs is out. Clockwork some, Orange some and like Snug It Hot. Hot. That's a, those are both out. Uh, can't do MASH. Can't do A Streetcar Named Desire. And we can't do... That's I think that's everything. We're going off the list from 2001-ish or whatever. Whichever one has the Lord of the Rings on it, right? This does have Lord of the Rings on it. Okay. I think it's 2007. Okay, I think it's it ends... It's not actually specifying on the AFI site. Oh, my God. I think it ends with... Ben-Hur. Ben-Hur, yeah. yeah. So whatever list that is. It's the one on the AFI site. Right. Anything you're hoping for, Matt? Well, I'd love to do Sunset Boulevard. It's a <sighs> meta movie. We haven't done a Wilder in a while. <laughs> and... Uh, we love our meta movies here. Indeed, indeed. Um, I would love to do Do the Right Thing. Hey. Uh, just because we are not at all qualified to do it, so if we were assigned it, that'd be nice. Okay. Uh, Goodfellas. I, you know, we haven't done a Scorsese since After Hours, and that's not really a super Scorsese, Scorsese movie. Right. I'm hoping for a Spielberg, personally. Are you really? Let's do it. Let's you want to do Jaws? What if it's do... Schindler's List? Is E.T. Isn't E.T. on there? I believe E.T. is on here. Yeah, yes. let's do Let's. I would do E.T. I just, uh, I mean, E.T.'s fine. I do just you don't... not care about E.T.? Whatever. I would also care to do, let's knock off another Hitchcock. I'd love to do a Rear Window. Oh, it'd be so good. Um, a I, Psycho. I would love to get in uh, a Western, perhaps, an, an Unforgiven, Unforgiven, maybe. Also, you know, anything with Jimmy Stewart as Jimmy a Stewart. winner. Jimmy Stewart. Winner well, so in my mind. Rear Window and uh, Philadelphia Story. With Catherine Hepburn and Carrie Van Belt talking like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We'd do bits from the movie and no one would know which one we were doing. Yes. So those are some of the things I'm looking forward to. Um, of course, we uh, the rules we always play is that we have vetoes. Each one can veto once. That means that if you veto the first and I veto the second. We're stuck with whatever the last We're Danny time. DeVito on the third. <laughs> Could be worse. <laughs> My mouth could be gushing, or nose could be gushing blood. Oh, I fucked it up. <laughs> it's okay. I'll put the drop in. Could be worse. My nose could be gushing blood. All right, let's spin this wheel. Do you want to do it first, or should I? I want you to do it first. Okay. Well, here I go. I'm going to spin it with a clenched anus so I don't fart like last time, because that was fucking embarrassing. Here we go. One, two. God damn it. <laughs> I got 52. For real? Yeah. Taxi Driver. Hey! Hey! That's a good movie. 
swear to God, Ryan, if there's a good pick next, if, if the wheel comes up in my favor and you veto this shit, I will flip this table right over. Wow. I'm really into taxi driver. Okay. I will, I will, I will put that fart right back inside you. Well, Matt, it's in your, it's in your hands because you're the one who gets to spin the wheel now. Ready? Vision boarding this. It's all, I, it's all the secret. I, I remember reading that book. What the bleep down the rabbit hole? It's all here. I'm, I'm envisioning a good pick and. Ah! Fifty-four. Done mash. Okay, give another spin. Another spin again. You get spinning it. Do you want? Do you want me to do it with you? Yes, please. Okay. All right. One, two, three. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. It was the, the floor is uh, creaky. I think it was the chair that I'm sitting on. Forty. You seem upset. Oh no! Matt, I'm really excited about doing a musical. So. You wanna watch three fucking hours? Mmm. Mmm. You just want me to use my veto. My Danny DeVito. High on a hill as a lonely goat herd. You You do remind me of the young Nazi boy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Come well, on, we're ju we both want to veto this. It, it's just who's gonna do it. All right, I'll do it as a courtesy to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Because uh, uh, I know that you just you you personally couldn't veto Taxi Driver on principle, even yeah. when faced with the fact that it's combined with uh, a movie that focuses on the fact that rich white Austrians are the real victims of World War II. You don't have to tell me. Uh, okay, starting over fresh, clean Why don't you slate. give the first spin on this? Okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to spin it with my toes this time. Ready? Your toes. Why are you presenting? I'm not. I'm spinning with my toes. It's like a mandrill in heat Why over Why are you interpreting my body movements as sexual? You know... When, when you're literally like spreading your legs in bike shorts in front of me, how else am I supposed to interpret this? I think this? this is your problem, not mine. Ready? Here I go. I'm using my toes. Ready? One, two, three. Do the right thing. Hey! Movie we're not at all qualified for, but I would happily talk about. You mentioned you wanted to land on it, so that's fun. That's yeah. fun. Yeah. Okay. Okay. This is my round to ruin. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a veto anymore, so. All right, here we go. And a one, and a two, and a... Eighty-six. Platoon. Okay. 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 We're, we're doing two. That would be two movies very close to each other. Do the right thing was eighty-nine. Platoon was eighty-six. Yeah. We're doing some eighties movies. We're adding two eighties movies to our list. That's a problem. But. Uh, Are you trying to convince me to veto this? No. But you know. Veto. What? Why? 
chaos agent. Let's do this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to the wheel. I'm, re I'm, I'm doing it. Oh, he's already doing it here? Yeah! yeah. Ninety-two. <gasps> Good fellas. <gasps> okay, Ooh. okay, okay. Everyone, Ooh. calm down. Everyone, All calm right, just down. Just everyone, shut up for a second. This is a movie truly worthy of two hundred. I would love to talk about Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas for episode two hundred. I would be mm. honored. Mm. Okay. Don't fuck this one up. All right, I'll sp I'm gonna spin it, and I'm gonna get a good one. I know it. Ready? Five. Singing in the rain. Okay, you know what? The, the, <laughs> yep. Goodfellas and, and singing, singing in, in the, the rain. rain. That feels two hundred worthy to that me. That feels two hundred worthy. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> then, uh, how about we plug our junk and get the fuck out of here? Patreon.com slash X-Rated Movies. Leave us money. We've got plenty of tiers. They all lead to the same thing, which is lots of bonus content, but you're supporting the show that you love. Uh, free ways to leave us love where we podcast. Leave a uh, uh, promising you know, five-star or more review. And uh, uh, otherwise, reach out and touch us. Reach out, touch us. We've got uh, Twitter, X-Rated Movies, Facebook, Rated X Movies. And you can reach us by email at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And our website, xratedmovies.com, has everything minus the bonus content. If you just want to see what we're about, that's, that's the place to do it. Uh, nice and concise. Mm -hmm. All right. Next week, episode 200. Good fellas and singing in the rain, baby. Keep reaching for that rainbow. <laughs> <laughs>